You're listening to Campus Review Radio. To register for our upcoming Higher Equity Summit, examining the various barriers to equality in higher education, visit campusreview.com.au and follow the links to Higher Equity Summit. Globally, what do you predict to be the upcoming trends regarding data usage in the education sector? Well, what we see is that um, there's a lot of different uses of data and analytics in education. It's used as a tool in certain sciences or in social studies or um, statistics, things like that. One of the things that we're out talking about, in fact, my presentation earlier today was that what we want to see is an increased focus on improving data literacy as part of our educational programs. So this is something Click is very interested in. And we've been starting to work on some grassroots efforts um, through software grants, et cetera, to create more programs, not just in traditional business schools, but in all types of higher education to really teach people how they can use, read, analyze data. Because just like, uh, you know, when I grew up, I'm much older than I look, um, we didn't have computers when I was growing up. So I got introduced to the first computer in college, and it's I was fortunate enough to, to say, these things are going to be important someday. So I started learning computer technology um, at the university level. And more and more people recognize that, and today it's, it's just ubiquitous. Right? Who, who doesn't? My four-year-old knows how to use our computers. We need to get a wave of people who are thinking about data literacy. Hmm. How do you really use data, understand it, manipulate it, analyze it, to get better insights about what's going on in the world around you. And that, I believe, is gonna become an incredible uh, business skill set for the next generation of workers. Mm-hmm. And that's a big push that Click has right now. And can you offer a local perspective on that, Sharon? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm seeing exactly the same sort of thing as what we're seeing globally, but I've done a lot of, I suppose, press uh, around, you know, particularly how IT is becoming very pervasive across every sort of skill set, but generally it's around data. So everyone, no matter what their role is, is needs to be data literate, but it's, data is becoming more and more important because we're getting more access to it as well. So in, in just a normal person's job that purely wouldn't touch you know, sort of data previously, they'd get a report from IT. They're now empowered with the data and that's what we're starting to see is that it's not just IT people, you know, it's not just people that generally would normally deal with data, it's everyone that it's actually starting to touch. And the data literacy thing, I think, is a very, very big thing. What sort of data should be used and what sort of data shouldn't be used? So, I would say that um, you, you can't say what should or shouldn't because it depends on what you're trying to do and what the domain is. I think a great example, I'm going to use an example I used earlier this morning, is um, we talked about uh, a sushi chain of restaurants in Japan, a kendo sushido, which is the leading conveyor belt sushi restaurant chain in Japan. You know, little, little boats go by with the sushi and you grab it plate. So 430 restaurants, 120 million customers a year, 1 billion plates of sushi. Every single plate is, has an RFID tag on it with what goes on that plate, when it's consumed, or if it's not consumed, when it gets thrown away, etc. They analyze 4 billion data points on an ongoing basis 
to predict and understand their entire supply chain from a customer perspective, the end purchase point, to run their entire 430 restaurants. Now, any other day, you'd say, chain of sushi restaurants, it's all manual, gut feel, you know, it's all about how you roll the sushi, et cetera. But a great example of how data can be used to optimize any business. And that's why, you know, what we're really moving to is this world where we're collecting information from every possible source, from devices, from multiple devices around us. And we have to get to a point where we just understand how to read that information and work with it the same way we do with the written and spoken word. That's what we're really talking about is how do you take people and develop that skill set that they're comfortable with data. How about relating that question to, say, a university trying to reduce its attrition rate? What data should and shouldn't be used then? So a great example, we have a customer here speaking from New Zealand. Um, Tertiary Education Education Commission. Commission. From Wellington. And we had dinner with them last night. And they're using analytical software to understand uh, how their university system is working. Who's attending, who's not, why, what are the patterns so that they can actually manage the entire funding process across all of their universities. So by, and they can track down to individuals that are registered at different universities and see patterns. So for example, if you saw a dropout rate in a particular department at a particular university, you start to realize that I've got a problem here. So let's go investigate that problem. So it, the, the notion of being comfortable with data is that, um, you know, there's an old saying, numbers don't lie. But the problem is we don't know how to look at the data to go find out, well, what are the numbers telling us? And that's why the marriage of very simple to use analytic software, such as provided by a company like Click, with data from all these sources that that data's been there, it's been there for decades, but no one knew how to tap into it. No one knew how to read it. And that's what's coming together in today's world, um, often referred to as self-service visual analytics, where we're empowering more people to access the data, to look at the data, ask questions, and find patterns and insights that then can make uh, or contribute to better decision making, such as what's going on in the university system, what's going on with our dropout rate. Is it, is it a national problem or is it a university problem? Or is it a topical problem? Is it a particular area and you know people just don't see the jobs in that area so you know all their friends are saying don't go you know don't get a major in that and so they're actually listening those are the kinds of things and questions you can ask and find out by digging in and looking at the data look I totally agree with um, with Rick I mean the education the um, TEC have fundamentally changed and I think I said this to you before the way that they talk to their providers they're actually having a proactive and intelligent conversation with the providers to assist them with ensuring that the students are actually making it through the course, doing the right course, taking the right path, rather than a general conversation around, you've got this many people coming in, there's that many people coming out, that many people pass, there's many people failed. Why? Not sure. So the relationship between the providers and the TEC has fundamentally changed, but the value that TEC is now able to provide back to the universities 
in a, in a guidance way um, is much more powerful than they've ever had before. Uh, and I sort of spoke too about the, um, the Department of Education in Federal here, running a very similar pilot, trying to achieve very similar things. A lot of people are quite uncomfortable with data collection. While it may be illegal, people are uncomfortable with it. How would you allay some of their concerns? Well, a, a tremendous amount can be learned by looking at aggregate data and stripping out personal identifiable information. So for example, looking at trends within universities, um, you can strip out who's the actual student, for example, what's the student's name, and still get a ton of insight about what's really happening in that local university, what are the patterns that we're seeing, what should we be concerned about, what's going well, et cetera. So I think a lot of it is just understanding, you know, that you can do a lot without having all the pieces of the data. You just have to figure out what are the pieces we need to be able to answer the right questions. And how do you figure that one out? Uh, as an old or ex-CEO of a privacy company, it comes down to <laughs> personally identifiable information and masking that. Okay. So just, and there, there, are, there are data businesses, that's what they do, is they basically anonymize data. They give you the characteristics of individual, because in, in many cases, for example, um, in health services, backgrounds, um, ethnicity does matter. It makes a big difference yeah. in understanding not only trending, but what's going on with patients, et cetera. So there are actually data services that that's what they specialize in, is anonymizing data while keeping all the key characteristics that can actually be very useful. Mm -hmm. Well, we do a very similar thing uh, to what Rick's talking about for New South Wales Health. I know it's not in the education mm. sort of area, but their ABM portal, ABF portal, that they um, produce for all of the um, health services um, anonymizes the data as far as at a patient level, but provides benchmarking information that the, um, the CEs and the doctors can look out at and benchmark themselves against other hospitals and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the access to the information and what the answers that you're trying to, or the questions you're trying to ask or answer, that's the relevant data that you need. Um, and the other stuff that, you know, is, you know, personal or, you know, something that you shouldn't use is easy to just put to the side sort of thing. So I think, especially the way that we govern and secure the data um, in the applications, that also protects a lot of the uh, access to the information that possibly shouldn't be looked at by certain people or be looked at by others mm. that should be looking at that data. Can the data be re-identified by people who may want to? I think, you know, like there's a, you can mask the data and we've done it very well in New South Wales Health. Um, where you can't determine what the names are because it's all hashed out. So there is a way to permanently mask that data. Um, and, you know, that's not a, not a difficult exercise to do. And as Rick said, there's actually providers that do that sort of stuff and provide subsets of information. But um, that, I, I think that there's technologies around that can do it as well. So, um, you know, in combination with delivering the information in a visual form, um, and, and using data that's already masked is probably a combination. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of data that's being collected. How can, where should universities, schools, and just educational institutes start? Most universities probably already have yeah. the data, yeah. and it's just yeah. a question of are they trying to use yeah. it, or are they using it effectively? Um, you know, every record is stored somewhere on every single student, and what happened, what the student took, what the student grades were, how long they 
took to get through college. Those of us have a five-year track instead of four. <laughs> so that information is there. It's really about, and, and I think that's a lot of what's going on in the industry right now, is we've had data, we've been collecting it, we just don't know what to do with it. And now with the advancement of what's referred to as modern BI, modern business intelligence, it's creating tools that are much easier to start playing with the data and saying, well, whatever, what, is, what happens if I look at it this way? So whereas it used to be that you had a few highly trained PhD level data scientists that could look at the data and come up with something, um, nowadays this whole data literacy issue, this whole point of teaching people how to be comfortable with data, then empowering them with technology that's very easy to use, you know, drag and drop, simple, intuitive, like you would expect on a mobile device, for example, to go explore with the data. We're creating a whole new wave of usage that didn't exist before. So yes, we're collecting more data, which gives us more things to look at, but the reality is, is we've lived in a world that's been collecting data for a long time and just didn't know what to do with it or how to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. um, should students be able to use their own data? Absolutely. Yeah. How could they? And, and like uh, um, Sharon talked about with New, New South Wales, I would love to have been able to benchmark myself against multiple students doing my major against multiple universities. And that could have given me all kinds of information like, well, how do people who are doing what I'm doing, how do they fare into the job market? So if you take it, you take the data beyond university level into, and then what happens to these people, these graduates, et cetera, where did they land, et cetera. That could be incredibly useful information. That could be the difference between choosing, you know, one university or another. You know, back in my day, you know, it was just a guess. It's like, well, that one. Yeah. they have a computer science program. That sounds good to me, you know. It's, it's drivable. <laughs> so I think there's a lot that can be done to empower more people. I think the challenge um, that we've seen here, um, and this is very, you know, the education system, the government in general have had, and Rick talked about it before, um, so many different locations that they're collecting data. So a student might come in in, in one for, um, sort of faculty and do half of a course and then go, oh, actually I'm, I'm going to go and do law. I'm not going to do IT anymore. I think I need to go and do law. And then their, their information is here, but it's also here, and it's also here, and it's also as they register, and it's also somewhere else. And previously, there's been no way that that can be all brought together simply and quickly. And people have gone down the, let's build a data warehouse path, that's a five-year program, that's lots of money, education system can't afford that, so it gets halfway through, it doesn't get finished, and then the whole desire around getting the information dissipates because it's too hard. So what we've done is we've provided now a capability for the government and all of these different sort of areas of the government to bring information together very simply, very fast, and, and adopt a very agile sort of um, uh, approach to delivering information out to third parties, um, to providers, to students, all of that sort of stuff. So I think we've actually become the catalyst 
to enable better access to data in the education system, mm -hmm. um, fundamentally because of the distribu distributed nature of the information. Would um, universities want that data released? There was enough of a battle getting them to release it under true ATAR scores. I, I think, look, it, it's like um, it's like a lot of the things that, you know, we do. We just did the census, right? Mm. And everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do a paper one because if I do it online, you know, gosh, who knows <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, I think that there is still um, this paranoia that people have. But it's like, so I'll go back to years ago. I used to sell the very first um, electronic warehousing, data warehousing solution in Australia. And when I walked in and said to a customer, it's fine, we'll send your data over the internet to our facility and we'll store it there. Their eyes <laughs> were like, are you serious? Do you seriously want me to send my data across the internet? And even when cloud came out, what do you mean you want me to put my, my outlook, my mail in the, in the cloud? I'll never do that. So it is one of those things that as, you know, as people get more comfortable with the use of data, the access to data, and that it's being used for good and not evil, um, I think that people will start being more comfortable. I mean, the government, you know, the whole access to data thing that um, the government's doing. You know, the, the agencies all want to share now. Um, and they're using us to do a lot of that because they can't do it with any other technology. But it's getting there, and it's just a, it's a comfort thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable, and then there's a lot of people that are absolutely comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, you know, it's sort of, it's an evolution, not a revolution. <laughs> yeah, because cultural attitudes change with every generation. Mm -hmm. So the millennials, they are not worried, obviously, based on what they post, what information is out there about themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to see just by population, people are going to be more and more comfortable with data being out there, data being used, etc. Mm -hmm. In anything, there's always the possibility for misuse and abuse. That's not going to change, and there will be, I'm sure, very successful companies that will rise up to try and help stop some of that. But um, but I think as a, a behavioral approach, the millennials will definitely be, it's all about the data. Mm -hmm. That's all the questions I have. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just, I think there's some really interesting things happening down here, um, especially with the work we're doing with government and in healthcare and education. Uh, and I think it's a reflection of this really is a tipping point right now of moving into this new notion that more and more people will be empowered to access the data, ask questions of it, and learn things from the data. And the term business intelligence has been around for decades, but we're witnessing a whole new wave of, of empowerment that I think completely changes what business intelligence has been in the past. That's why it's so important that we move it into the university system, for example, and I'd like to see it in secondary education as well, where we start training people now, not just how to type on a keyboard or use a mouse, but actually how to look at, read, and understand data. Uh, personally, we, we have an academic program globally where Rick talked about um, providing software grants to um, curriculums and stuff like that. So, you know, not just business and finance sort of courses, but other courses. You know, we've recently done one with um, one of the universities in Tasmania 
where one of my subject matter experts who comes out of the healthcare market has actually helped them with a health analytics curriculum and, um, and course. So I'd like to see more of that happening. I'd like to see the universities more open to getting assistance from people that specialise like we do in this sort of discovery capability. Um, because I think, it, I think it is going to be part of everyone's job to, to be more interactive with data and to understand and to be able to interpret it. So I, I personally, um, you know, we've got a bit of a, um, a program here that we're actually starting to hit some of the universities with the offer to assist them, to provide them free software to, for the students. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I'd like to see a, a greater uptake in that sort of thing.